Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Check out the link in the show notes and maybe consider becoming a subscriber as well. Thanks a lot to those who already are. I also found an old travel check recently, like from a trip from in the US from like 15 <laughs> years ago, and no one is taking them anymore. They don't even sell them anymore. The bank won't take them. Traveler's <laughs> checks is, is a concept that I think most people under 30, not even yeah. 20, 30 probably don't know what they are, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, but now, now I have a piece of paper worth back then $50 lying around, which I can't use anymore. Oh so. my God, Matthias. <laughs> Imagine what you could have done with $50. Yes. Yeah. yes. 15 years ago, that was something. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> that's true. But back then, uh, it was before the World Trade Center collapsed. So that uh, was so long ago. Oh yeah. God. Can you, it's been, huh, we're coming up on 20 years since 9-11. Uh, like the, the really weird thing is how you relate to events in your past that happened when you were already an adult compared to the events that happened before you were born. Because before you were born, they were basically the state of the world. And, you know, things like, I don't know, when did the Vietnam War end? It was like 10 years before. 70s. 79, wasn't it? Se yeah. 76, 70, I don't know. One of the later Something 70s. like that, yeah, later 70s. So it was a few years before, uh, yeah. uh, after I was born, but to me, it was, I was going to say before I was born, it was, <laughs> no, 70s, Patrick. And to me, it, it, they, like, the, the Vietnam War was part of the state of the world. But it's much closer to my, uh, uh, to, what is it, like, to my growing up then 9-11 is to me now, yet 9-11 feels like yesterday. I remember exactly where I was. I remember. Exactly. Yeah. It's weird. By the way, it was uh, April 30th, 1975. We were, I was wrong. Thank you. <laughs> so I was, I was really small. I was like two years old. So, um, but yeah, it's like, it's, I don't know. It's so weird. And uh, I guess that's what growing old means, growing up old. <laughs> You can tell your son about it one day. Yeah, and to, to, I mean, the weirdest thing which everyone talks about all the time is, well, I mean, 9-11 for the kids. The, the kids now, it's just like uh, the Vietnam War for me. It's just part yeah. of what the world is, right? The, the ones that are 15 or 20 even today. And, um, and it's like the internet. They don't know a world without instant access to everything. Exactly. It's, look, look, look at the bright side. When your kid grows up and you start to explain to him life before the internet and rotary phones and <laughs> dial-up modems, and he will just look at you like you're 150 years old or something. Just like I, I looked at my parents, I guess, when they were telling me about things. It's so fun to play the dial-up sound in a room because 
all of the adults are like, Ugh! like it's a flashback, and the kids are like, "What is that?" And you're like, what "It's the same if you have a floppy disk. If you ask, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the young people say, "Oh, it's the safe icon. Look." And so, yeah. Right. And, uh, did, did you guys see the video of the 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 mom that's asking her children to use the rotary phone to call someone? No, but I'm guessing the the, the kid presses uh, on the. the... Kid, yeah, the phone is hanged, and he presses on it, then he picks it up, <laughs> and then he says, "There's a weird sound in the phone." He hangs up and does it again, and he picks it up. There's a weird sound on this phone. Oh my God, we're so old. I know. So I'm on a I'm on a walk with my kid this afternoon or this morning, and he says, "Mom, you can eat these flowers." I'm like, "No, you can't." And he looks at me and he goes, "You can Google that." Patrick, there's something you might be able to observe in your son one day, because that's something I saw with my little cousin. Uh, if you put a newspaper or something in front of them, if they're old enough and they start to play with things, you know, grab them and stuff, uh, try putting a newspaper in front of them and see what he does. Because my little He's cousin always tried to it. swipe. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah, yeah, iPads and stuff. So he was always swiping and wondering why there was nothing happening. <laughs> there was nothing moving. And... Uh, <laughs> my, my, my nephew, who is like one year old, and he knows how to use the mobile to of play course. YouTube. He picks what TV wants, he puts it on, and he knows how to mute it and turn it back on, the volume. Well, I just stare at uh, I'm I'm looking forward to all of this. You know, I, my baby is very young, so maybe, Wendy, you can tell me if that's how you feel. Uh, but there was a sentence in um, Star Wars, in The Last Jedi, which I loved. I understand it's controversial, right? It's like guns or abortion it's controversial to say you love the, the last jedi but i did um but there was one sentence which i think was pretty deep and pretty uh uh everyone would agree i think that it was interesting it was uh i think when yoda tells luke we are what they grow beyond right and and that's just a, a universal thought about kids i guess and i'm at that place in my life, I think, where I'm comfortable with that idea. Like, I, I would be happy for my kid to grow beyond what I am. And hopefully, and of course, kids are, you know, ingrates and little <laughs> things. Uh, and so he's going he's gonna, to uh, be disappointed in me. And he's, but that's, that's life. And I think I'm confident with it. There's this pay it forward with your kids, like... You're not grateful to your parents, although hopefully at some point in your life you end up becoming grateful to your parents, but you're not grateful to your parents necessarily. You are uh, forgiving on the ungratefulness of your kids. And when you have kids, you understand why your parents were forgiving of your own ungratefulness and you being a right. little shit. So, so yeah, I'm ready to be grown beyond by my, by my and, kid. And I, I get why people want their children to have children because you, there's no other way for them <laughs> to get it. So it was not until all four of my children were vomiting at the same time <laughs> that I thought my mother was an amazing human being. Like I just didn't fully appreciate oh, yeah. No, I, I could. 
I that explains why grandparents are, are super like uh, are pushing kids to have kids. It's like now you'll understand what I went yeah, I through. I need you to no, know. No, I don't. I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason is they want to take the grandkids, spoil them rotten, and make them love them, and then send them back so you can raise them the way you want after they spoil them. <laughs> yeah, kids are great if you can send them back to their parents at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's gonna make for a great post chill. So. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is episode 109 for in May 2018. We talk about strikes in France and its culture. We talk about Swedish Academy scandals, the government in the US and other parts of the world. We talk about Ramadan, we talk about immigration and a bunch more. everyone and welcome back to the Phineas Club. This is a show where we cover, well, the news from around the world, but with a kind of a twist. What we do is we get people who live in different parts of the world and they tell us what's been happening in their corner of the world. And uh, very often we all discuss it together and we get different opinions, different angles, different uh, views on each topic. And hopefully we all learn something at the end of the day or at the end of the show. My name is Patrick Beja, and I'm very glad to have again today, as most of the time, the uh, local curmudgeon, and when I say local, it is to this show, Turkey from Saudi Arabia. How's it going, Turkey? Hey, Patrick, all is good. I'm just hungry and thirsty, and you're making me work during Ramadan. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I guess we've entered that stage of our lives where, I mean, especially during Ramadan, but uh, the stage of our lives where our main concerns are usually hunger and that we want a sandwich. That's, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we also have Wendy, who's here from Sweden, uh, but also a little bit from the U.S., but not really. How long has it been since you've been in the U.S.? Visiting a, a year, but I, we moved here four years ago. So it's been four years. And, but you visited a year ago. So yeah. uh, are you, are you going to... ooh? Are you gonna like get the 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 uh, citizenship and become an EU citizen? Well, technically, we have to wait another. I think it's three or four years because we were students to start with, and ah. they don't count that. But in, it takes five years generally. So then we could visit North Korea if we wanted to. So that's kind of what I'm holding out for. <laughs> Good, good plan. Sounds like a sound uh, plan. Uh, good way of, of uh, avoiding the question, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah excellent. Uh, Matthias is also here from Germany. How's it going, Matthias? Hello, everyone. It's warm and sunny here in Germany. Everyone is looking forward to the World Cup, which is looming on the horizon and Ooh. is evident by all the question of mer merchandise in the stores. So everything's good in here. Excellent. Are you uh, one of those uh, soccer fans that I hear so much about? No, not at all. I don't care for <laughs> soccer at all. All I want to see this World Cup is the first game because it's against Mexico. Our first game is against Mexico. And I want to shout out to Dan if we win against Mexico. So. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> nice. who has been on the Furious Club right. uh, a few times. So. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Okay, excellent. Um, I also am looking forward to the World Cup, mostly because it should make prices of 4K TVs drop, and then maybe I can get one. That is my main interest <laughs> in, the, uh, <laughs> in the World Cup. Um, I'm currently in Finland, but I am uh, going to Paris in just a couple of days now. Uh, it's been a while because, of course, we had the baby, and um, now we're going to Paris with the baby, four months old, on a plane, I am terrified. Terrified, I tell you. Whatever, like, when you're listening to this show, I'm probably going to be eating my hands in anguish uh, <laughs> at the idea of us going on a plane with, with the baby. Maybe, maybe you should do what some of these people have been doing, giving out the earplugs and a message <laughs> on all of the people on the airplane. You know, we're seriously, seriously considering buying a bunch of earplugs and, and <laughs> distributing them in apology to the people around us. I mean, Wendy, you've traveled, uh, maybe not with, with tiny babies. Have oh, you? I have. I've oh, traveled okay. with every, every shape and size of a baby. Okay. So... It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no. See, it's so, so much encouragement, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful. Um. I guess keep your expectations low is what you were telling me in, in, before we started the show. Um, so people, I know you've been annoyed by babies on a plane before. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're projecting on everyone your own experience, which might be accurate. However, most people are pretty nice. You'd be surprised. And your baby is stunning. So just show the baby, <laughs> show him the face. And hope he has a good day. Yeah. Smile, yeah. smiling. Yeah. And Everyone finds him flight, cute. Right? A pretty short flight? It's what? Sorry? A short flight, isn't it? Oh, it's three hours or so. Okay. So that's, oh. yeah, it's not transatlantic. Um, but there's time for, for things to be terrible. But uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, hopefully if he's not screaming too much, he will have time to be cute enough to get us uh, uh, forgiven for this uh for this event but uh yeah i i don't know how it's gonna go i guess we'll see but babies travel and i think when i was really young i was just annoyed but ever since i guess around my 30s i started realizing that not everything was around about me and so i realized that parents traveling with babies were probably really annoyed as well <laughs> so hopefully at least part of the population well, in the I'm, plane I'm 41 is going to... I haven't reached that point yet <laughs> somehow that doesn't surprise me uh so yeah anyway that is uh the situation uh right now and uh I'm also looking forward to being in France where it's now 30 degrees centigrade uh with, with this baby that hasn't known more than 20 uh, that's also going to be fun. And we're also going to be staying in my uh, old studio, which is tiny. So the three you of should, us there. You should, you should bring the baby and come to Saudi. You should, we will enjoy the weather here. Yeah, well, you have air conditioning. We don't. <laughs> so that's the main thing. Yeah, just walk so, outside at 40 degrees and tell me. Uh, uh, that would, We would just stay indoors. That's, that would be, you know, from car to indoors to... That's how it happens in Japan, actually. When it's warm in the summer... <laughs> Um, yeah. You go from air-conditioned train to air-conditioned building, and you usually catch a cold because it's so freaking cold in the buildings that, like, you have to bring a jacket with you because it's too cold inside. Yeah, That's, same situation here in Saudi yeah. most, most of the time. All right. Well, uh, let's get started with the show proper, and uh, I think I'm going to start for a change. Um, I'm gonna, so I was wondering what I could talk about. Uh, Finland is basically a heat wave that 
people have never known it's 25 degrees it it went up to like 27 i think one day in may and everyone was losing their minds um which was funny because to me 27 is nothing exceptional and it reminded me of uh, my wife laughing at me when in paris we had like two centimeters of snow and everyone freaked out and the buses st were stopped and everything. And she's like, ah, ah, you don't, you're so funny and cute French people. That's not the real voice of my wife, by the way. Um, and, and now I'm like, Finns are so cute because they're, they're, you know, run they're, they're, I don't know, like my wife was sweating and going, ah, oh, I can't handle this heat. And it was like, 26, what are you talking about? It was funny. <laughs> um, so that was one thing. But the more important thing is happening in France uh, with strikes. And I kind of alluded to this last episode, but I think now it's worth talking about in full. Um, we're getting a lot of strikes because once again, just like every other government, this government is trying to reform the status of our transportation company, nationalized national company, uh, the SNCF, which runs uh, trains all over the country. And um, the it's, this has not been going so well. There are a bunch of other issues. Of course, everyone's angry with the government, as uh, they always are. Um, I think even myself, I'm not like super happy with the action of the government. It's one of those situations where you feel like something has to be done, but you're not quite sure what needs to be done. So you, everyone has an opinion and everyone disagrees with what the person who's doing something is doing. It's basically the internet. France is like the internet. Everyone's angry all the time. Um, I guess that applies to many countries, but uh, it's, so there are different areas for which people are unhappy. Um, about the transportation, the train company is the most important one because, of course, we've seen train companies privatized in other countries, mainly the UK, with disastrous results. And um, that has kind of been the image we've had for privatized uh, train companies and the, 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 the example not to follow. So I don't think the government is going quite that route, but there are concerns, especially among the unions, that they don't want to lose the status that they have. Uh, they consider transportation rightly so, like a, a, a service infrastructure is important and you can't run in and run it entirely uh, for profit because then you would not be serving parts of the country and no one would be serving them. And that's obviously a big problem. Infrastructure is built by the government for a reason. And that is the reason. And uh, you can't always have a good uh, private enterprise solution for those. So that's the concern. I'm not saying that's what the government is doing. There are some elements of that, but there are also insurances that uh, the, the new system would maintain those routes and would maintain the status of the workers that are already employed um, and that would, they would keep that status no matter where they work. The new uh, hires, however, it would be a different story because, of course, as a government worker, which those workers are, even though they work for the train company, because it's a national company, um, they have certain benefits, and they have been assured that they would keep them. The, the strike is still very much uh, uh, followed, but it's not being supported uh, by the public, by the general public. So it's kind of a lame movement where it's, it's, it's also fragmented within the unions. And most of all, 
the unions are not finding an agreement with the one uh, super strong opposition power uh, called Mélenchon. He's basically, I'm sure that his supporters would get angry if, if I, <laughs> they wouldn't have the same interpretation, but he's the closest thing we have to a communist. And he's not a communist. I wouldn't say he is, but he's definitely more on that side than on the center side. Um, the, the current government, the Macron, is right of center, which for France is considered uh, a horrible bourgeois liberal. Like, literally, people say he's the president of the rich, which I can understand why they're saying this. Um, he's taken more right uh, of center um, uh, measures than left of center, which is a little bit disappointing. But any world uh, scale would put him right of center, not like even a conservative uh, politically. So anyway, the the left, the very left uh, party of the Insoumis, uh, unsubdued, I guess, Insoumis, uh, is very unhappy. And their leader, uh, Mélenchon, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, is right now in a favorable position for the next presidential election. But that election is coming in four years, so many things could happen. And I'm kind of in a position, we'll see what happens in the next four years, but I'm very much uh, not in favor of Mélenchon, mostly because his anti-EU stance, which I think is extremely dangerous, especially since the anti-EU sentiment has been growing and growing in, in Europe. Um, but on, on the other hand, I'm almost to the point where, almost, not quite, almost to the point where I'm like, well, all right, maybe we give it a try. Whatever. It's kind of throwing my hands up in the air because no one is finding the, the, the right formula. But we'll see. We still have a, a few years before that happens. But getting back to the strikes, we've had many strikes again. Um, and I'm wondering how you guys uh, from your countries and your local point of view see the, the, the strikes in general and uh, the, the French propensity for, for striking all the time and, and demonstrating and blocking the country, which happens on a regular basis. Um, maybe let's go with the, the one who's from the most capitalistic country in the world, uh, the US, and talk to Wendy. Uh, strikes, demonstrations, uh, French strikes and demonstrations. How, how would you view all of those? Well, we, we borrowed that from you guys. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, we do our share. I don't, I don't know the effectiveness of them. I think t at times it's worked. I think, uh, it feels more symbolic these days anymore. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because our unions are so weak. I mean, if we have any left, I'm just, I, I left four years ago. I'm not sure there's any left. <laughs> um, and so there's there's not a lot of uh, sort of sway in those groups that would fight for the right of the worker or various things. But um, it's funny. The image we have of the unions from the U.S. is mostly in Hollywood and the actors and writers unions seem quite strong. And I, I have the feeling yeah. that. And since everyone has to be unionized or most people are unionized, um, a, 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 an action by a union is few and far between, but they are usually quite effective. Whereas in France, we strike every other day and the unions represent only a small fraction of the, the workers. I would say, I don't know, five, 
less than 10% for sure, maybe less than 5%, um, depending on the, the industry. Uh, but since it's so low, it doesn't really carry as much weight. Well, and, and you bring up a good point. Uh, there's there's areas where maybe the unions are stronger. Obviously, uh, Hollywood <clears throat> is kind of its own thing. <laughs> right. Um, and I was thinking more sort of industrial and blue-collar jobs and, you know, mm. a painter's union or whatever. And, and uh, they have, you know, there's some... Um, court cases before the Supreme Court that might completely neuter the power of a union to collect its fees among people who are benefiting from those union behaviors and lots of stuff that, you know, it's kind of a, a slow um, downgrade from what we have had. So I think the consequences of that is that, um, you know, there's not as many protections or or not, you know, folks don't rally the whole team to do the the thing. Now it happens, um, protesting happens, of course. Um, but I think where we sort of see the shift, at least politically is sort of, you know, like the um, Black Lives Matter movement. You look at um, the Women's March that happened in January. So social, uh, social yeah, movements social rather movement. than... Yeah, exactly. I think there's more of a, a sense of that, like the, you know, the teenagers in... Um, from Parkland in Florida, organizing the, you know, rally for our lives, you know, for gun control. I mean, those, they're massively attended all over the United States. So it's, it's a, you know, very effective as far as gathering and getting people to do it, as far as influencing policy and changing certain things. We, you know, that's, Mm, that's another matter. So what, how would they see, how would you see from the U.S.? France as, you know, a, a strike culture country, like when there are news, maybe the news doesn't even reach you. But if it does, it's like, oh, okay, well, those commies are at it again. Or like, how do you perceive it? Well, it's interesting because living in Sweden, they don't necessarily strike like they used to either. Um, I, they have a lot of rights and a lot of really strong. There's, I mean, I, I'm in like um, a group of women. We help plan certain events in the community and we are a union. <laughs> There's a union for everything. So I think uh, they have adopted well the, that concept that um, people have the power and those collective groups really matter. So I'm in the opposite country for this, um, but they don't strike much, I think, because Sweden, uh, this is probably not fair, but they're they're so conflict avoidant um, and mm. sort of, uh, unwilling to, you know, I mean, I've watched just two people unwilling to have conflict in a moment where there should probably be some conflict <laughs> on a personal level, like in a grocery store. And you're thinking, oh, you guys really don't ever do this stuff anyway. And so, so that's I think actually I think it might be worth uh, discussing one day how conflict conflict averse the, the Swedes are. It's almost to a fault, right? It's it, yeah, it's ridiculous. Absolutely. Absolutely. To the extent that they let the Nazis just walk right through during World War II. And, <laughs> no. and you'll talk to a Sweden, they'll say, we have been at peace and have not been at war 400 years, except for that time we let Hitler walk through. <laughs> so <laughs> they're aware of it. They're a little bit ashamed of it. But that is part of it is very mm. culturally normative to avoid conflict, sort of hold your tongue. And, you know, like I've, I've seen the only time I've seen a Swede get Con confl conflictual or start something is when someone um, cut in front of me in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> 
And an old man went crazy on the guy. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Oh, my gosh. It scared me to death. But, yeah, so it's very much a part of the culture here. So, for example, May Day happened. We live right in town. And 7 a.m., there is a parade waking us all up. And they're marching through the streets. And they're, you know, all old guys. And, and they remember the day when they, they needed May Day as a, as a massive symbol of we have rights and we're going to fight for those rights. And, you know, and then you ask just any regular Swede and they have no idea. They think May Day is just a day off. <laughs> they don't have any concept. So uh. it's, it shows that it was beneficial, but they don't have the striking culture. It's, it's not a thing. Mm. Um, I think in France, we all remember what May Day is because, yeah, strike is still very much part of our... Uh, daily lives. What, what about you, uh, Matthias? Surely in Germany, you have strikes all the time. Well, m maybe not as much as French, but uh, as France, but I hear a lot of people are unionized in Germany, or at least like it's, it, I think it's mandatory, right? Well, France is known for their strikes, isn't it? I mean, it's your favorite pastime, isn't it? So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you do it all the time. So <laughs> no, it, that's uh, in Germany. Well, We have strikes, we have demonstrations, there are unions, uh, but I think it's not as much, I want to say, internalized that it is in the culture of France, I guess. There's an, a very old saying, and I'm not sure how well it translates, but I'll give it a try. Uh, it, it goes, if there is a demonstration on a railway platform, Germans will buy a ticket beforehand just to be sure. So they don't want to be too disobedient. Uh, that's an old saying, but I guess it, it describes that uh, we have strikes on and off. But um, there are certain sectors, for example, government workers aren't allowed to strike if um, by law, for example. But uh, then again, we always have those, for example, airline strikes, uh, mm. what we call um, th those those employees in public functions. Like, uh, for example, if you have uh, in schools, uh, they're not all of them are um, forbidden from strikes. So sometimes there is something like that, but uh, it's certainly not as present as it is in France, I guess. Mm. And so you look at it with amusement, uh, is my understanding from what you're saying, for, for, from the French? It's like, ah, oh, as I was saying, ah, oh, there I did again. How cute. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you look over there, oh, well, there they go again. Mm. So, uh, Turkey, do we need to define what the word strike means, maybe? It's such a foreign concept <laughs> for you? Basically, yes. <laughs> What would happen, like, if if someone was to go on strike in Saudi Arabia, or you know, a group? I guess someone would just get dragged out. But uh... um, to be honest, I'm not sure what would happen. But it's officially it's illegal to strike in Saudi. So so what do you risk? Yeah, being in jail, jailed. Mm. Yeah. So it's uh, if you do end up striking, you could end up. Uh, in jail and God knows for how long. So, so when you look at France, do you see it as, oh, they're just different? Or is it some kind of bewilderment that this no, is possible? No offense. When we see France, we say, these guys are just morons. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say crazy. Morons is a little bit more. So you actually think it's it's idiotic to, to, to strike? No, or? no. No, the French strikes, yes. Ah, okay, why specifically? <laughs> Come on, you guys, do you ever work in France, period? <laughs> well, I mean... So when are you going to announce Air France is bankrupt and shut down? 
Well, that's one of the issues. Some, uh, I mean, people strike because, well, there are many. The thing is, what the, one of the motivators for strikes is that you see the way some of the the companies go, and I mean, when you're talking about Air France, obviously, it's very difficult to to compete with the uh, uh, super cheap airlines like Ryanair and I can't remember the other ones' names, but there are a few, right? And those working conditions, yes, you pay a cheap price when you're a customer, but the working conditions are not great and sometimes even one might say dangerous. I mean, okay, that might be, I might be uh, <laughs> liable to, to some kind of libel here, but it seems like they're not doing things as well as they should. And the 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 traditionally um you know the the prestigious air france company doesn't want like its employees don't want the company to go that route you know to go the discount route and i don't know that there's a way to find the right balance but uh, i understand the sentiment are you saying that you know we should just shut up and accept that that's the way the world is going, kind of, and that's the free market, and there's no solution? No, no, no. I don't have problems with strikes per se. All right? There are times when you actually do need to strike, mm. when things are really, really bad, and you're really being abused. All right? But when, when you look at France, and, I'm, I'm, and this is, now I'm talking about entire Saudi Arabia and maybe the entire world. I don't know about the rest of the world, but I've met a lot of people from around the world. When they think of strikes in France, they just think these are people who don't want to work, period. Ah, I see. They don't, okay. they don't feel the, that these people are actually looking for a better life. They're just looking for a more lazy life because strikes are so common and, 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 and happen on so many times and, and, and such huge scale in, in France you almost never see that in any part of the world. So what is France different? Mm, Why do France need to strike way more and way more aggressively, way more times, many times, than other parts of the world? That's very interesting. Um, Might be an interesting point. So what's the threshold? What does it take for certain cultures to go on strike? How far do you have to go until you choose to um, do a strike or not? I think it's fair to say that France is more strike happy, like trigger happy than other countries. But I would dispute the idea that they just do it to take a day off. Yes, of course, you might have a few people who are like, yeah, fine, we're going to go on strike and we're going to, you know, have uh, some, no, when, when some I'm sausages they, they on there. Work less. I'm not saying the strike time. I'm trying. I'm saying they're negotiating to work less. Oh, oh, OK. They're negotiating to work less. I see. Well, Yes, they are negotiating to not have to work more. That would be that would probably be a fair uh, assessment of one but you of already, the. You already have the most relaxed work hours in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's... So what do you want more? <laughs> um, I would have a lot to say about this, but it would take <laughs> a lot of time. Um, but yeah, no, I understand what you mean. It's not just about work, but. It's definitely, it's not, you know, oh, we want to work less. It's, it's, the drive is the uh, social progress that we have earned as, you know, collectively, uh, maybe throughout the last century, and that we don't want to see uh, dilapidated. And 
the social progress is things that now a lot of people would take for granted things like unemployment benefits and uh, paid vacation and uh, 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 parental leave and things like that. that yeah, but uh, Patrick, this is this is where uh, I think this is the best way to describe it in France. Mm. When people think of France, they think the employees don't care if the company goes bankrupt. They want the company to keep on paying and paying more no matter what. Mm. When people think about strikes in other parts of the world, they think, like for this example, uh, I think the least is the U.S. When people th think of strikes in the U.S., and I'm talking about here in Saudi in general, they think there's a balance there. The employees care about their, the company. They are willing to negotiate. They don't feel that in France, when people strike, they are willing to negotiate. They actually just demand. They mm. give a sheet of paper. This is it. If we don't get this, that's done. We're not even going to talk yeah. about it. Very, that's the very, impression the world gets. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, I think uh, we're going to move on, but I think part of the reason why this this is the image there's probably a little bit of truth but i think the uh structure of the unions is a good a big reason for it um as i said you don't have to be unionized in france unlike the uk so the only people who get unionized are the very very active ones who are very um militant so the unions <clears throat> are are uh, probably a little bit more demanding, I don't know how to call it, than in other countries. So that's that might be part of the uh, 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 the beginnings of the answer. But uh... all right, let's... so yeah, go ahead. So what would you say? How trigger happy are French unions? I mean, they're over here. There are always negotiations for higher pay and stuff, and they progress in the negotiations and they threaten to strike. Uh, but that's always the last resort, of course, and it always takes a certain amount of time for them to actually before they would actually start a strike so how to trigger be our french unions then are they um, quick to go on strike yeah. or i th i think uh the it's reversed <laughs> um you kind of go on strike as the first step and then, I mean, yes, you do speak. That's un that's unfair. Uh, you do talk about it, and you do uh, uh, have negotiations. But the 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 strike is kind of used as a tool to further the ne negotiations more than uh, it might be in other countries where it's like, okay, negotiations have failed, and so we go on strike because this isn't working. So I also think that's a fair. Uh, characterization uh, of the way it works in, in the country more than in other countries. Ah, uh, that's so... But, you know, the funny thing is, as annoyed as we are about it, we, we kind of accept it as a fact of life. It's... Uh, I, we would like for it not to be like that, but I don't know. We, we should do an entire episode on strikes and have someone from a union to, to discuss it. I'm sure you would have a different, uh, uh, you know... A different uh, explanation for all of this. I have one thing to throw in before we move on. Sure. I listened to a podcast about Volkswagen um, had um, gone to the U.S., opened a factory, and they took the German model of union, you know, sort of the theory of we talk to each other, we negotiate, everyone's kind of on the same team, even though in, in theory we're adversaries, union Human, union, you know, spokesman versus 
CEOs and the board. And it was so interesting because it showed how culturally it just doesn't work. So <laughs> Germans have, a, they have it, whatever they have, that that just makes sense to them. And, and they're, and it does logically make a ton of sense, but you put that into an American context and, and those two roles, they're so adversarial that they don't quite know how to, mm. how to do it. It's like a family. You, you grew up in a certain family. Someone else grows up in a certain family. You try to get together. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't always you... sort of work out. So some of this will just stay culturally specific. I think some some elements of it anyway. You can't even seem to explain something like universal healthcare to uh, Americans. So why would you even <laughs> try to explain a union to them? Exactly, because they think it's all a communist plot to take over. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's true. Like the, the lack of sort of of uh, intelligence about other systems is sort of shocking. Do you there. know what's funny? I, I, have, <laughs> I had an image, an image of American unions that were in some sectors uh, quite powerful. You know, maybe it's I watched like uh, uh, The Wire too much and like season two in the dock workers unions that were maybe it's like the, the uh, uh, New Jersey mob mentality, like image of unions <laughs> rather than the actual Uh, uh, you, the way the union works in the U.S., but I thought that there were there were at least some sectors where unions were, uh, you know, quite present. Maybe and, maybe and that wrong. is that is true. Um, but I, I hate to break it to you, Patrick. Hollywood isn't real. Oh um, my God. <laughs> yeah, but there was. I would. You, the, you're picking up the vibe of like historically, absolutely, mm. uh, a lot more than is today. But most states are now right to work states, is what it's called. We like our catchy phrases that flip everything and make it sound good. Like, mm. oh, you have the right to work, which means you don't have the right to unionize and complain if Wait, things are bad. It's actually pro pro prohibited to unionize? Yes. In certain What? states. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, I've changed since you've been watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah. I'm actually shocked. Like some, sta some states prohibit uh, people from unionizing? Yeah, that so is, it is so shocking to me. I would like, this is how I, I don't have words. I didn't realize that was, <laughs> how okay. do you just defend define your it rights? For you really quick. I'll define it for you really quick. A right to work law prohibits union security agreements or agreements between employers and labor unions that govern or establish a union that require employees to pay membership fees, et cetera, et cetera. They, that means you can work in, And I'm looking at a map here. There are a lot of them. Um, yeah, it's more than way more than half. Okay. Um, that you you can unionize, of course, but you do not have to, and you cannot be harmed if you do not. Um, oh, so, okay. Oh, that's different. Right. Wait, that is entirely different. You can unionize if you want to. It's not prohibited. Right. Which means you are. Completely powerless, but just saying. <laughs> Why? Wait, yeah. wait. Why? If if no, I'm I, okay. Maybe I'm misunderstanding something here. But if you have the right to unionize, then those who want to will. Right, and then all those who uh, are motivated, because part of why unions, at least my understanding in the United States, is it's it's like why universal healthcare works everywhere else. Everyone is willing to pay into it, and everyone then benefits based on that concept. But if you don't have everyone paying into it, you only have partial pay in, 
then it's too expensive. That's why our system, medical system in the United States is imploding. Well, in um, France, you don't, it's basically the same. You can unionize if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, I right. mean, on the other hand, the, a union will negotiate the rights for all of the workers, including those who aren't unionized. Maybe that is what is different. Like if you're, if you're not unionized in the US, then you don't benefit from the Uh, uh, negotiations of the union? Is that how it works? I guess, according you know, to... I'm not sure if they don't uh, uh, mm. benefit, but if you're not a member of a union, of course, you don't get some of the same protections that they have. Right. The problem is when you have less and less and less joining unions because they either, you know, the fee feels too high or they don't recognize mm. the benefit. One of the reasons I think this happened, and by the way, it's 28 states, so definitely okay. more than half, um, is that as if you've ever tried to, you know, become a painter in Sweden, I'll tell you right now, it is not easy. It's a two-year training degree, and then you have to join a union. Now, I don't know what the price of whatever it is, but let's say that's true in the United States. It's it's a state that has unions. You want to be a painter. You're not unionized. You're not going to get the jobs because the union is going to have more power to make sure the jobs are, you know, stay within the union. Mm. Um, but in a right-to-work state, you can do whatever you want, And there isn't preferential treatment. There tends not to meet because so many are not in a union. It starts to kind of fall apart. That's why our unions have weakened so much. Mm. I think the original intent was they didn't, people did not like the idea that you had to be in a union. Um, and there, there were various occupations. You were destitute if you were not a part of a union. So you were, you know, sort of forced to. And I think that was the intent. And what's ultimately happened is there's less and less power Right. So it, it's basically attacking kind of the funding of the unions, thereby yeah. weakening them yeah. by. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's interesting because here we don't I mean, we don't have to be unionized. So it's almost the same thing. But the culture means that a lot of people do get unionized. But I think it would be better if everyone had to choose a union and then the union would be representative, just like they are in Germany. Um, and, and so if everyone would then get interested in uh, the, the negotiations and would be represented, it's, it's currently one of the reasons why those uh, unions, I mean, they're more militant, so they're more active, but at the same time, they're often not in sync with the general, uh, uh, you know, with employees' uh, 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 desires because it's a tiny portion of them, the more militant that that govern the union. So, I would personally think it would be interesting to to explore the idea of requiring. Uh, Doesn't it also depend on which industry you are in? If there is a union, how powerful it is? Because over here you also don't have to be in a union, and there are certain sectors where unions are very strong traditionally, mm. and uh, there are some like overbranching unions that uh, try to uh, to uh, be there for certain sectors, but or, or for for almost all industry sectors. But uh, in other branches, you don't, just don't have any very powerful ones or just small ones that negotiate on behalf of their members. Mm. Isn't it the same in, in France? Like there's, depending on the industry? Yeah, we do have, like, depending on the industry. I mean, the, m many, many of the unions are trans, like, most of them are for, <laughs> it's funny, 
it's like there's there's three or four with sub branches for different professions, but most of them are nationwide. So and they cover all or most of the professions. So any job you are, you will belong to. You know, you might be a, an office worker. You'll belong to the same union as, let's say, a uh, train driver, or something like that. But um, anyway, we've spent a lot of a lot of time on unions, and I hear uh, Turkey yawning in the background because he has said his piece. Unions in <laughs> France are crazy people. So uh, let's move on to something else. Uh, let's go to Sweden. Wendy, how's it going? Okay, well, um, it's a good tie-in, actually. Uh, you know, the, the, the most power, and this is so not true anymore in America, um, but it is still very true here, which is if you, if you see something that's not right and sort of any maltreatment or, you know, you can run to a union, of course, but you can just threaten to tell a newspaper <laughs> because I will tell you, Swedes are terrified of the newspaper, like terrified. I think it comes back down to that sort of inner conflict of fear um, stuff, mm. just the peace, like let's, I mean. Th let's all be friends. Let's all live yeah, together in like, peace. More even just peace, you know. I, I would say it's a country of introverts. It really is. Mm. Um, and they're, they're just like, can we get along enough that we can all walk in the forest alone for a couple hours and be <laughs> fine, you know. And I, I love that about it, um, but it is really interesting. I have a friend here who was struggling to find an apartment, viewed a bunch of different apartments. He's a Filipino-American, and, you know, he's like, I can never tell if it's race or not. You know, he doesn't know. Um, he also, maybe it's because of American, I don't know, but he just kept sort of getting looked over for various things. And mm. so, you know, he called the head of the company and just said, hey, I'm just trying to understand if I'm going about this the wrong way and they're like oh, no, which company the company that the had the housing oh right okay. owned all these apartments right so they sweden has a massive housing problem um okay. not enough places to live and it's the place where the most of its citizens live alone so they take up all of it mm. <laughs> um anyway and so he you know he contacted the head guy and he's like well yeah i mean you just got to keep trying and he's like well it's interesting um, you can't tell from my voice, but I'm Filipino, blah, 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 descent. And it feels like maybe I'm being discriminated against a little bit. I don't know. Maybe I should talk to someone at the newspaper about it. And I was like, what? And he goes, oh, within a half hour, I had an apartment. <laughs> he goes, I didn't want to do it. He's like, I didn't. I wanted it to them to just be normal, but they weren't. And, you know, and there's, not to say it was necessarily racist. It's hard to tell sometimes. It might just be you're not Swedish, mm. and we prioritize that. And that, I think, sometimes happens. Um, I, I, I'm the same color as everybody here, but I have many times felt the, a little bit of the, like, oh, you're freaky. <laughs> <laughs> because you're not quiet and you want to be an introvert in the forest. No. Um, so there's a little bit of that that, you know, it's small town. That's what happens. Anyway, but this sort of fear of... Um, exposure is really strong. I mean, I think back in the day before all hell broke loose in America, you could have an article in the newspaper that would sort of tell the truth and people had shame back then. And so they would, you know, slink yeah. away from public view, but they don't do that anymore. They are happy to keep going. Um, so here's all leading to this. 
Uh, maybe you guys have heard about this, but the Swedish Academy that gives out the Nobel Prize in Literature, the little scandal here, the big scandal. No? Yes. Well, I've heard about it in, in Finland. Uh, okay. Yeah, but yes, I don't... Yes, also over here. Oh, you have? Okay, cool. I mean, not cool, but cool. <laughs> cool, not cool. Uh, so essentially, the Swedish Academy is this... And what's so interesting about it to me is there's there's such a strong value in everybody's equal we're all kind of on the same level and and uh they have sort of an unwritten rule about this we all sort of together sort of we're pretty equal and you know st statistically that's more true than of course in other places they the from the wealthiest to the poorest there is a smaller gap than a lot of other places um so the very strong value but there is this interesting little thing called the Swedish Academy, which is a group of um, poets and writers and, you know, the the elite of the literary world that are all Swedes, and it's a lifetime appointment, and they decide who wins the um, Nobel Prize in Literature every year. Well, turns out, thanks to hashtag me too, I think people have paid attention to some things that they were ignoring in the past, but um, one of the members her husband is a Frenchie. Sorry, Patrick. Oh, crap. Is he French? I didn't realize <laughs> yeah, that. No. Yeah, and he's a photographer and a <sighs> Jean-Claude Arnault is his name. I said that really badly. But uh, his wife is a poet who is on the Academy and together they operate and own a, a place called Forum. It's a prestigious cultural club in Stockholm. Turns out um, the... The Academy has been funding some of that operation. Money has been exchanged in ways that is not okay, not above board. And um, turns out this Jean-Claude guy has been accused of a lot of stuff. Um, We're talking about sexual misconduct. Let's... Sexual misconduct. Uh, people who were in line to receive the award, uh, people who are tersely related to the situation. I mean, there's there's a, a long list. And in 19, I think it was 1985, 1995 was the first person came forward and complained and everyone just like hushed her up. Um, but we live in a new era where you get believed now, right? And so the the uh, list has grown. And, and so the scandal was ultimately, they were trying to censor his wife as, because the funding of, their personal endeavors was part of the problem, as well as, you know, here's her husband who's now being accused of all of these horrible things. And then everyone's mad because they're saying, well, you can't censor her because of something her husband potentially did. And yeah, I mean, it's like a family feud, right? I mean, these are lifetime appointees and they're all high. But I heard many, many left the union in protest. Yes. So then... Three or four resigned. So the, the first uh, woman to lead the group, the, it's called the permanent secretary, even though it's not permanent. Um, Sarah Danius is her name. She hired a law firm to investigate. She put a freeze on sort of everything. And other members were didn't like her, hadn't probably always liked her. You know, it's just like the infighting kind of thing. So for the first time, well, it happened in 1949. Um so the second time they have, they're not going to give out a prize this year. They're going to wait for another year because it's, it's so chaotic. Um, and, and it turns out that this guy also would leak and his wife 
um, would leak the winners beforehand sometimes sort of in certain ways, which I didn't know this till sort of studying about this, that Ladbrokes bet, bets odds on this. So you can gamble on them. Oh, my on God. For literature. But, I think okay, you can so gamble about it. They're, anyway. just, they're just a couple of people, I mean, arguably one or two people who did some pretty crappy things. Why don't they just, you know, take a vote, get rid of them and and keep about going about their business that's the part i didn't really understand why right. did it have to be such a huge like entire uh, um uh not union but uh the entire academy shattering thing where everyone was angry and fighting and it's like seems pretty clear the two of them or at least one of them is crappy let's say okay this is not conducive to serene negotiations for and you know it's tarnishing everything they're conflict averse just say All right, that's it. You're done. Bye. Well, they are lifetime appointments, and unless the king changes the rules, which he has said he will think about, it, they are not. Until they're dead, they're still on that thing. Even though they resign, they're still on the board, and you have to have certain numbers to do certain things. So that's part of it. But what I love is such a uniquely funny twist of a, because it's Swedish, is it's supposed to be this sort of upright, untouchable you know, scrupulous, and all of them have been funding, you know, participating in voting yay or nay on funding things outside of their jurisdiction that they shouldn't have. Um, I mean, it's just incestuous. It's just like a, like a bad group of friends, you know, or a family that's dysfunctional. It's just kind of exploding. And I think that's why it's interesting to watch for people, because it isn't a place where you have thought scandal was residing. And it definitely... Yeah, it's... it's all, but, you know, I think... One of the things that is um, not surprising, but that strikes me is it, 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 the way I'm receiving it on a superficial level is, oh, look, Sweden is victim of this as well. Like, yeah. it's just as bad as we, in Sweden, and we thought Sweden was, like, the, the, the good kid that had it more or less right. under control, and... and Look at this. They're, they're just as bad as everyone else. So screw everything. But it, it does seem like there are a few instances that are being uh, maybe put more focus on because it's Sweden and it's so unacceptable there. And it's not as, you know, terrible or bad or numerous as it might be in other countries. Or am I getting it wrong? Is it just as oh, bad? Oh, no, you're as 100% it? right, which is why you know, and it's like, okay, what's the news in Sweden? This is it. Because I think there was maybe someone killed somewhere. You know what I mean? It's like really slow. It's like a slow news day in the States is the whole year in Sweden, right? So then you get something that happens. And again, it goes against this very, you know, the equality and people thinking they're better than others. And th there was a politician who was censured from his position I don't even know if he maybe let go, but he definitely wasn't voted back in because the scandal was that he was making a bunch of money from his company while he was not working there. I'm like, what? That's like 150% of the U.S. Congress. They're millionaires on the backs of other people. And that's a scandal in Sweden. So it's it's the level of, I, I always joke, but I feel like it's 1955 here. <laughs> And it's a lovely thing. I really enjoy it. But it, it really it's, is true that there's not a ton that of stuff that happens. It's a small place, right? There's 11 million people. It's not that many. 
Um, and so when something of this nature that, you know, they really pride themselves on that feeling and that, and, and they like that, that place they, they hold in the world of, you know, we're, we're neutral. I mean, they're the negotiators we send out to North Korea. I was mm. joking, but really, you know. So, they, but yeah, oh. but just to be clear, um, they are, I mean, it's not as bad as in Sweden, like the Me Too movement, there have been things, but it, when you look into it a little bit deeper, it's not as bad as it was in the US or even France. There have been some pretty bad things in France as well. It's yeah, just, that, I mean, it's like in, in Finland, there was a uh, politician who had to resign, a pretty high up politician, because uh, she had used government money to buy a couple of candy bars. Like literally, I'm not kidding. It's not, yeah. uh, uh, um, you know, I'm not exaggerating for effect. Literally, it was a couple of candy bars that she used government money for and she had to resign. It's that kind of thing, like the, the, a right. small thing that would be nothing in another country. I mean, maybe not nothing. C clearly, that uh, academy president husband thing did some pretty horrible things. Sorry, he's French. But <laughs> it, it, it's not as bad as is, it is in other cases. Yeah. Which is why Scandinavian countries, Nordic countries generally have you know, there's so much faith in their governments. They have mm. a belief that it has their best interest in, in mind. That's shifting a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think the U.S., unfortunately, I sorry, I'm talking about it, but um, I think it has, there's a, it feels a little contagious, like in the, not in the sense of like, everyone's going to, you know, elect a Donald Trump, but this sort of, shamelessness that is sort of crept into our our public sphere that did not exist before. I mean, if you recall, if someone made any, I mean, because we're prudes, right? So if we found out anyone has an affair, their their life is over as a political mm. person. That is not true now. And, and that shift happened a year ago, you know, like... Um, well, I think Bill Clinton would come to mind and people might say it didn't happen a year ago. Yeah, 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 but that he could, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not saying that. This I mean, it is, was it was a big, a big scandal. It sure. was, and this was also pre-social media and the internet. So mm. can you? I I don't think he would have survived. Well, it's hard to know. It's hard to it's know. Hard but there is know. definitely a shift that has occurred. That you know, someone does something sort of horrible. I mean, currently, the the man that that um, Trump is looking at to make Secretary of State has publicly said some of the most racist, xenophobic, horrendous things. And he's seriously being considered for a position as the, the number one diplomat in the world. I mm. mean, how are we here? And, well, and I think that's Finland, a wider you're conversation. You're going to let somebody but... go for, you know, taking some candy bars. It's they're holding a line that they've always held and that is is valuable to them and is culturally so relevant. And I don't want anyone to let go of that. Yeah. Um, well, I, no, I agree. And I they, think there's sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I think there is a very I've been talking about this on Twitter a little bit, and I made that point probably on the show a couple of times, but it's worth making it again. There's a very insidious, insidious uh, way of devaluing the work of politicians in the U.S., which is kind of uh, uh, in, in, inflated by some politicians themselves saying, you know, oh, 
the government is crap and Washington is corrupt and there's uh, the politicians can't do anything right. And and I think many Americans, and that's different in Europe, don't understand or don't want to see that governments do important, boring, tedious, specialized work that is essential to the the the, the country. And when you devalue that as a whole, when you generalized, when you generalize and you think all politicians are a-holes and they're just in it, they're corrupt, whatever, you don't care who you elect anymore. And that is a supremely dangerous uh, trend to instill in a, 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 a social consciousness or unconsciousness. And in the US, it is extremely uh, present now. And, and that's something hopefully we will not get as much. There's a little bit of it everywhere. Maybe it has to do with social media sort of making everyone a normal person. And so when politicians become normal people, they can't be irreproachable, I guess. Maybe there's some of that and, and it plays into it. But the idea that politicians do no good work is and civil servants and and public workers do no good work and they we don't care is criminal it's horrendous and that's how you get to this situation because you're like even the people i mean currently we have trump doing things I, for a time it was like wait maybe with north korea and things there was a method to his madness he was like playing chess and going like and now it's We've seen the latest developments with, again, North Korea, even to an extent with China and what's happening with the, the uh, you know, the deals he wanted to renegotiate. He's not. Re anyway, but it's like we're looking at it and we're thinking, what is he like? It's he's just Trump and the people who <laughs> voted for him. You know, there's a lot of people on the left who are like, oh, but when they will see what he is, they'll regret their choice. But they're not. Not because they don't, they know, they knew who he is from the get go. They just think that everyone else is just as bad. And that's where the uh, very insidious thing happens. If you think that no politician is good for anything, then Trump is just as good as everyone else, right? So this is a thing that I think we don't have in, in, the, in the EU. However, uh, little we think of our politicians we still think government is important and uh maybe there's a few showmen in there of course you have to be a showman to be a politician but government still needs to function and to do work important work otherwise your country collapses at some point so right and and i absolutely understand what you're saying and i do agree that as you, we denigrate um those roles that you know Etc. But this isn't coming out of a vacuum. It's coming because people continue to experience corruption. So you take the candy bar example, and you take a billion of the corruption things that have happened in the United States. It takes a toll to know that nothing happens. So an example would be, you know, Secretary of Housing. What's that guy? He's a brain surgeon. Whatever. He bought a ten thousand dollar table for the conference room. That should be somehow that should be the real scandal. We should be freaking out. What a waste of everyone's money. 
and nothing happens and it's fine. And then a guy takes a jet for all his vacations that he shouldn't. I mean, it becomes more and more of this sort of, you know, Trump said he was going to drain the swamp, but the swamp is strong and and there, and there aren't consequences. So there starts to feel like there's such a difference between them and regular people and what power we have is to vote, but, right? And, and, and most of us are pretty uneducated about what's actually happening. I mean, that's true too. Um, I don't know how you go about mm. sort of fixing that without sort of, you know, the, the white knight coming in and, and being honest. I mean, does that even work in politics in America? I don't know. So well, it's a really tricky, it has to start grassroots. I mean, that's, it's got to start in local places and people Maybe. getting involved in, but it is, it is dangerous because the, the idea is that if they, um, if they could behave well, okay, great. We'd all get along. This would be fine. But most Americans get confused about what is government and what is just stuff that's magically happening. So you can talk to someone who hates the government. They do everything wrong and I can't trust them. I don't want to pay my taxes. And then you ask them how much they enjoy having their garbage picked up or the street paved or, um, that bridge that carries them over the water to get to their job. And they're like, yeah, that stuff's great. Or, you know, they'll say things like, um, the government's the worst, but don't touch my Medicare. And you're like, yeah, that is that, government. And, and so there's an ignorance, 100%. Mm. But I also just think we're all angrier and meaner, generally. And and I think that it gets directed to these people who don't seem to work for us anymore. They work mm. for them, their own sort of stuff. And that's but you know, I, I will say one thing, and then we're we are gonna move on. Um, for I, in France, it's not like there aren't corruption scandals or corruption in general. I mean, we're not Italy, thank God, or or Greece, or you know some of those countries where it's systemic. Uh, but certainly, there is some corruption. It's being worked on slowly, and that's always the the wonder of France, which. It, it, people always think, oh, you're like those Southern European countries and we're really at the limit. Like we're not the um, super strict German uh, Protestant types, but we're also not the super lax, uh, uh, super corrupt, super Catholic types. Th that's a lovely stereotype, which I'm sure everyone in the audience will in in enjoy. But um, it, we know all of this. And I guess the difference is we are we are aware of those things you're talking about which is government is not just the politicians. It's also, uh, you know, th that dirty bathwater, which is corruption and, and self-interest, also comes with the baby, the baby being uh, the trains that have to run and the roads that have to be paved. And we understand that th they are kind of intertwined and you can't just condemn one with the other. Otherwise, everything becomes super crap and it's sort of a self-realization uh, self-realizing prophecy um, where anyway um, yeah it's kind of depressing but I think this is my new uh, uh, focus of battle it's this very strong idea this distrust of government that is lingering uh, not lingering that is very present in the in the Americans minds is like cancer it is it, it is killing your government and your society it's terrible And at some point, you have to realize that government is actually doing some important stuff that you care about. I don't know how to convey that message because even when I get, you know, it's so ingrained, even my left-leaning friends in the U.S. have some feeling that, oh, but government is crap somehow. Like, you know, oh, but yeah, but the politicians, oh, they're, they're horrible people. And it's like, I don't know, you know... <laughs> 
Anyway, let's move I on. hear you. I hear you. Can I say one thing I think sure, is, sure. is hopefully, well, it'll be hopeful at the end, not the beginning. So you have all <laughs> these folks who are running on the platform of everyone's corrupt. You know, there's a swamp. Let's change everything. And they go in, and this is really where, where Trump is the most dangerous, is they go in and they don't do anything or they actually actively break stuff because they don't believe in it. So we, we've actually elected yeah, people that's what I'm saying, who yeah. do that. And we elected that we've been electing them for years. This isn't new. Um, I mean, we're at a tipping point where it's all very obvious. And where Trump is the most dangerous is he has a completely empty cabinet. The man cannot keep a person to work for him. He destroys their lives. I mean, you go through everyone he's, he's mentioned to be in a certain position and then they get scrutinized and their career's over. I mean, he is the opposite of a hirer. He's a firer. And it's, and, and he can't get people to work for him. There's no loyalty. There's no, the, the bureaucracy that usually runs everything, he is, he is starving it. And that's, um, but that's the thing that I'm saying. The people who vote for him or who voted for him or who trust him don't care about this because they think no, government they is that. worthless anyway. They yeah, think they government is crap and pointless, right? And then it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, like, exactly. look how bad it is. Then you actually make it bad and then it's bad. Yeah. So I have to just say this. We're, we're really still pretty young. We, we, we need, we'll figure this out. It, yeah, it's scary. I know we're too big and we have a, too many weapons and, you know, but we're like raging teenagers on earth. I, and I apologize to everyone. And we got to figure this out. Maybe it's that this is, you know, some, some pinnacle moment that will change things. I don't know. Cause on the other Maybe. hand, we've got really incredible teenagers who have started a movement that the only chance I've seen in my lifetime for, for any kind of meaningful gun control to happen, it's going to come from them. It's not going to come Hasn't from... it died yet, though? Is it, isn't it over? Um, I, I don't know. But these will be the voters, too. I mean, mm. there's a difference generationally that I think might matter more than even if it's like an, a real obvious thing. And so I have hope because of that. I mean, there's always, you know, everyone who's ever been middle-aged thinks the world's going to hell. And everyone who's 17 has some good ideas, you know? So, well... so I'm kind of hoping for that. That's true. And the 17 will vote in the next, the 17 year old will vote in the next election in a couple of years. So we'll see what happens then. Um, next year, they voted 18. At 18. Yes. But I mean, for the next uh, presidential election in the oh, US. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, soon the US gets to the stage where just like Turkey, they just want a sandwich. That will be much quieter for everyone. Uh, all right. Well, Turkey and uh, and Matthias have stayed very quiet for this past uh, topic. Let's move on to you guys. Uh, Turkey, what's been happening in Saudi Arabia? Um, well, not very much. We got our movie theaters. So you've uh, been talking about this for a couple of episodes. Before you go to that, what do you th what do people think of the Me Too scandals uh, and the you know, sexual harassment issues in the West right now. I mentioned this in a previous episode. It's, uh, uh, it's I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's very difficult to explain the reaction you get from Saudi. Uh, in a way, uh, sexual scandals like these are Uh, against our culture. Uh, yes, you mentioned it's... Uh, uh, yeah, so yeah. it's not acceptable. 
but in other ways you have then you have to uh, then the and after that, you have people divided into phases where you have those who say, well, this is the result of being open, of women working with men and blah, 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 blah. And all of that uh, Western uh, corruption society. of the mind. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you get. And that's why we should stop this from happening here. And then you have the other half that are just saying more Western concept, which is that's not an excuse for this to happen, if you're going to be open and uh, accepting and work women and women working together, that's still not an excuse for sexual harassment. So, uh, but in general, of course, everybody does agree with the concept that this is a horrible thing and uh, they oppose it very much. Mm. Okay. So you were saying you have your movie theaters now. Yeah, we have our movie theaters. Uh, I think last time, I think when I was on the show, we had the first one open. We just had the second one open a couple, uh, two or three weeks ago. And it's a real movie theater this time. The first one was actually a convention center. They converted it into a movie theater. And then actual movie theater with the IMAX theaters and, so, and all of that stuff opened like two or three weeks ago. So that's the big news. Um, Ramadan, of course, is huge right now. It's been today, I think it's been seven days a week now of fasting. And for those people who don't know what fasting is, uh, basically it's an Islamic tradition during the holy month of Ramadan. It's a lunar calendar, so it uh, comes in different times of the year, uh, every year. And uh, basically you are supposed to... Uh, not eat or drink from uh, sun uh, rise until sunset and uh, any other uh, pleasures of life you're supposed to abstain from it during that so time period. what do you mean about this show what pleasures of life this? that it's not fun for you to be on the show oh, that's a bad joke <laughs> sorry yeah, yeah well it's always depressing when i talk to you fair enough <laughs> well, I'm basically mean sexual uh, music and uh, stuff like that. So. Mm. so how many people actually do the reflection part of Ramadan? Like, do you actually think about your own life? Do you have like articles in newspapers saying, so this is what happened since last time and this is how we could do better? Like, is that part of the process? It's, or? It, it, it's mostly, it's very religious. So, and a huge percentage of people do take it uh, on a religious point, at least in Saudi. Uh, I'm sure it, a lot of people from all the Islamic countries also do it, but I can confirm in Saudi, a huge percentage do follow it in a religious way, where, for example, they start reading the Quran a lot more. Uh, so actually, a lot of people make an effort to at least read the entire Quran during the, uh, during the month of Ramadan, uh, if not once, at, uh, twice or three times. Uh, a lot of people then do we you have... Think, we, so, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Do you think it's kind of a mechanical reading of the Quran, or is it for a reflexive? Some. For for, for some, yes, it is uh, mechanical. For some people, mm. it is mechanical. For others, no, they really sit down and reflect upon it. Uh, there is an extra prayer during Ramadan, which is at night where uh, people go to pray after the Isha prayer. It's called Taraweeh, where you uh, spend about, uh, usually it takes half an hour of prayer, uh, where they follow how, how many, a religious leader. How many prayers do you usually have? Is it seven, six? Five, five a day. Five. 
And do, during Ramadan, you have this extra one. Does everyone do the five prayers? No, not everyone does the five prayers. Uh, uh, most do, and it's expected to, for you, of you to do it. Uh, uh, ba basic belief in Islam, if you don't do the prayers, then you're not even a Muslim. It's so, but uh, what, like a major concept of being a Muslim. Right, but if you're in the car and you're a delivery person and you have to deliver something, does everyone stop and go on the no, side of the no, road? No, and... no, no. Prayer time is very open. It's not as uh, strict as uh, some people might think. Uh, you are expected to pray at an exact time, but it's not mandatory to do it in that exact time. For example, you have a prayer called Buhar prayer, which is the noon prayer. And that's from noon until uh, around three o'clock. So you can do it anytime between noon and three o'clock. Mm. At the first, which part of the world you are in, because it depends on the movement of the sun and the position of the sun. But you have prayers like this. You have the Isha prayer, which is uh, the last prayer of the day, which happens after sunset, as soon as night sets in. And you have you can pray it until uh, basically until sunrise. You have time to do it. Mm. Uh, of course, you also have the the option if you do miss it for unforeseeable reason, you were occupied, you were sick, you were sleeping, you were traveling, you could do it later in a different time. You don't, don't have to do it in the same exact time of the prayer. You're expected to do it during the timing of the prayer, but you can mm. do it like... You can do it like a day later, for example. Can you can you do like uh, like the Christians did in the uh, in the Middle Ages? Was it the Middle Ages or later? The indulgences, I think it's called in, in French. I think it's the indulgences. Like you would pay to get your sins forgiven. Um, that mm, would be an easy no. way of getting. <laughs> you you miss no. a couple of prayers. You send a, 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 a few bucks to the church. No, you don't. Okay. So I said for prayers, uh, no. Uh, but for other stuff, there is a way. Like for example, fasting. If you're unable to fast because, for example, you're uh, a pregnant woman in a late, later stage, or if you're sick and you're not allowed to fast by doctor's orders, uh, then you are allowed to not fast. However, you are expected to, uh, example, to feed 10 poor people a day. Really? So that's, does that actually happen or is it like, yeah, I'll do it later? No, no happens and well you they don't most people don't actually go and do the feeding themselves they usually just donate the money to a charity right. that takes care of it for them hmm. okay Interesting. So, so you have stuff like that that you can uh, do uh, there are other punishments and stuff like that that you can make up if you do it there's some sins that you use to uh a punishment you're supposed to buy a slave and free him or are done. So, so that, that's actually, not valid anymore in, a, in this day and age, but it used to be valid. Right, or but like the, the, the concept of the, the concept of freeing a slave is considered like a good deed. Yes, yes, it's mm. a, it's a huge deed. Freeing slaves is very big in Islamic law, mm. and uh, if you are unable or can't afford freeing a slave or unable because there's no more slaves around, <laughs> then you are required, for example, to fast. 30 days to make up for that uh, sin you did. Mm, okay. Easier so have, to free a slave. These, these concepts. Okay. So is this feeding you're supposed to do, the feeding of the 10 people outside of Ramadan or just after sunset then? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean is, is this like after sunset? I mean, during during just, Ramadan only or is it outside? Or... 
you can do it during Ramadan by feeding them, by providing them their uh, meals to break their fast. Or you can actually just donate the money and feed them on a different day. It doesn't have to be during Ramadan. All right. So it it's seems really that every time you talk about uh, Ramadan, which happens, what is it, every nine months or so? I can't remember. Every year. Every, every year. So yeah, but the lunar there's, thing. It's... There's a different, the lunar thing makes a difference of 10 days every year. So it pushed. So Ramadan more or less nine months. I was days. right. I, I was yeah. mostly right. About nine months, right? 10 days. It's, <laughs> that's, um, but it seems like every time I learn something new about it. So, um, All right. Uh, anything else? Other than that, uh, the last thing is uh, women are going to be driving very soon. It should uh, officially, it should happen at the end of this month, at the end of Ramadan. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, people are all over it right now. So everybody's, uh, they're actually, uh, driving schools have opened for women. The women have gone to driving schools. They have passed. They're ready to get to apply for a license and everything. So we'll wait and see what happens after Ramadan. We'll see. That's going to be an interesting one next, uh, next month. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, all right. Thank you, Turkey. Uh, Matthias, what about Germany? What's happening? Do you have like a government? Is Are things finally working? We have a government for a long time now. They are completely incompetent, of course. But uh, other than that, we have a government. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because as we were saying earlier with Wendy about the US, I think when we say, oh, they're completely incompetent, we don't mean and we don't and and we don't want the government. I, I'm pretty sure like in Europe, it would be, oh, they're completely incompetent, but the the streets aren't going to pave themselves. Like even saying the streets aren't going to pave themselves is the interesting part of what some of the government people do. It's such a huge machine that needs to run that it's if the people who actually want to go in and do it should be thanked like the military are in the US. It's... Anyway, sorry. So yes, they're incompetent. If I say if I say incompetent, I just mean there are certain people in that got that got certain posts which they aren't really <laughs> qualified for, or maybe they shouldn't have gotten. So things like that. But that's mostly a party politics, you know. So mm. someone has to get a post, so he'll get this one now. So well, but, at uh, least you have a government. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's more that than Italy can say for now. But um, there are two small things I wanted to mention at the end. But apart from that, there are a lot of other things happening right now that we could talk about, depending on what you all are interested in. So for one, we have a new scandal developing right now in connection with the asylum applications. We could talk about a new privacy law. We could talk about the relations towards the US, or we could maybe talk about the new police law that sparked massive protests over here. Ooh. So depending on what you are interested in. I'm interested in immigration. Um, maybe the police law as well, but let's go with the immigration thing. Okay, so um, this is still developing, this scandal. Um, so just a disclaimer, there may be more information coming up later if you listen to this at a later date. But for now, um, this scandal involves an office of the Federal Office of Migration and Refugees in Bremen. So uh, it's this one office that's uh, in the center of this scandal. And apparently this office seemed to have been granting asylum applications to around 1,000 people between 2013 and 16 without sufficient assessment or legal grounds. It is possible that this former head of the office might have gotten money in exchange for accelerating these applications or maybe even granting them before they were properly assessed. As, but uh, at this point, those 
are just unproven allegations. So basically what you're saying is that there's a thousand terrorists running around free in Germany. And again, it's a proof that the government is crap and should be burned. Right? You would that's... make great right-wing politicians, you know that? <laughs> that's, that? That's basically what you hear from the right now. But just to wrap this up, uh, at this point, they're just allegations because the investigators follow up on other theories as well, because um, it may be possible that this woman uh, who is in the center of the scandal may have acted out of sympathy because uh, all or, or most of these applications seem to be from people from a religious minority. So maybe she was acting out of religious compassion or something. But uh, right now, this office in Bremen is no longer allowed to render any decisions on current asylum applications until further notice. And since this uh, federal office is a subsidiary agency of the Ministry of Interior, the uh, minister, Horst Seehofer, has now asked our federal audit office to begin an independent investigation into this. So uh, we will see what actually happens maybe in the coming month or so. But of course, the racists and xenophobes, especially the AFD, uh, you'll they already smell blood and call bloody murder and uh, use this for their agenda, for their populistic agenda. And they are now demanding that there will there should have be a parliamentary board of inquiry, what we call Untersuchungsausschuss. And uh, they are starting to use this for their own propaganda and uh, create unsubstantiated conspiracy theories and such things. So uh, just the usual MO, I guess, what do you expect from these guys but unfortunately it's not just them it's also the liberal party which i guess they're only carrying that name liberal for historical reasons now but they are also trying to get on this populist wave you know it's mm. it's just it's just en vogue i guess you could say it's, it's just it. what en vogue en vogue yeah okay yeah. sorry about my french pronunciation ah. i suck at french <laughs> okay um it's yeah, to be honest, uh, to call for such a board of inquiry is at this point at least premature or even unfounded, because uh, convening a parliamentary board of inquiry is the sharpest weapon the opposition has within our political system to control the government. And as such, it should be used wisely and with restraint and not just for something like this, just to, to get a few votes, I guess. Uh, yes, this whole thing is a scandal and yes, it needs to be investigated, but the scope of this doesn't warrant a parliamentary board that mm. can be done at a lower level. And it's not, uh, it, it's just at the moment, it seems like some individuals in one specific office and they may have gotten money for those applications, but it's not a systemic problem. So it's not like we have a huge corrupt office like right. everywhere in the country. So. You you were saying um, they are, uh, uh, it, the woman might have acted out of compassion. Is she uh, of the same religious? Uh, uh, I don't think think so i'm, I'm not okay. sure that's just a theory i read that the investigators mm. are pursuing okay. uh, apparently this religious minority what are they called just uh, just i don't know it's uh, some religious minority that is persecuted in several countries so it might be and for that reason um we don't know if those people who actually got the asylum because of that might have actually proper might have actually be the ones who have gotten asylum anyway we don't right, know right, at this right, point, yeah. Yeah? so they might have gotten it uh, 
if they had waited longer, but they wanted to fast track it or someone spent money mm. to fast track it. So we don't know that at this point, and that's something they will have to investigate at this okay. point. All right. Uh, you wanted to talk about something else? Uh, just two little things. Um, for one, if you remember, uh, the last time I was on, I was talking about a court ruling on the ban of vehicles with diesel engines. And uh, now Hamburg is the first city in Germany to actually declare a ban on vehicles in certain parts of the city. So as of May 31st, you can no longer drive on certain roads within the uh, city if you have one of those affected diesel cars, even though Hamburg wasn't one of the cities that was involved in the court case, but they still uh, decided to implement this nevertheless. And one reason might be that the EU is putting pressure on Germany because of low air quality in the cities. So that's just as a follow-up on uh, the last time I was on. And another little thing, just for the history buffs out there, uh, yesterday was the 400-year anniversary of the second defenestration of Prague, which started the 30-year war. So one of the most devastating conflicts in European history. And uh, this was mostly fought uh, in the territory in Central Europe, which was the, back then the Holy Roman Empire and now is most, for the most part, Germany. And uh, just because it was such a devastating conflict that uh, uh, devastated complete regions and killed like two thirds of the population, it had a profound influence, not just for history, but also for German culture and literature. So if you're interested in history, you might want to read up on that, especially since uh, because of the anniversary, a lot of historians have published new books about it. Excellent. Um, yeah, that is something that we uh, unsurprisingly didn't talk about at all in, uh, in France, I think. See, now you learned something. Mission accomplished. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Matthias. And uh, thank you, Turkey and, and Wendy. I think we are reaching the end of a full show. Um, maybe we, we talked about uh, strikes a little bit too long, but I think that was warranted. It's always fun to talk about strikes, right? That's that's the 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 really interesting part of, of France. It's, it's always fun, Patrick, when you're on the receiving end. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I tend, it's funny how when I look at it from the inside, like as a French person living in France, I am extremely um, uh, uh, negative about it. Like, I don't like it at all. I think basically everything you have... Uh, uh, talked about, I feel a little bit. Yeah. But what I have to talk about, maybe on this show as well, because I, I feel I need to be a, a little bit more neutral, but in general, presenting this to the world, I feel like I have to not defend it a little bit, but maybe explain why it's not just uh, uh, all black or white. Yeah. It's like your, the, the your French pride is coming out. A little bit, yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. And, and I I I'm not a lover of strikes at all, but it's uh, I think you know. Uh, trust me, I know exactly what you're talking about, Patrick. <laughs> trust me, I I swear I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm sure you have some topics uh, <laughs> about your own country that you are uh, ambivalent <laughs> about, like that. I, I'm guessing maybe there's a little bit of that in uh, relationships to government, or maybe even gun control in the U.S. Uh, I'm sure many people would say uh, we have to ban all guns, but I don't. Th I think explaining some of that would be 
uh, I don't know. It would be interesting to explore a little bit further, but I think people might have a different opinion. But guns are so... I mean, it's a matter of life and death. So maybe it's a little bit more black and white than strikes, which are economic hardships. But um, yeah, I'm sure there are some things in every country where when you think about them and you complain about them all the time, but then when you have to go explain them to people in another country, you're like, oh, but... You know, you're a little defensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway, thank you uh, to all of you for being on the show. Uh, would you mind telling us where we can find your, your online presence slash work, if, uh, if at all, Turkey? Uh, you told me you just, like, you were angry and quit your job. So now you're going to have tons of time for blogging and podcasting and stuff like that, right? <laughs> no, I need to earn a living. <laughs> oh, crap you have to you have to actually work right now i'm job hunting i'm also trying to do my own business so we'll see how it ends up uh And so yeah on, on twitter on twitter you can find me on twitter turkey albala t-u-r-k-i-a-l-b-a-l-l-a-a and i keep on posting from time to time and hopefully you'll enjoy what you see excellent uh matthias uh, what about you You can also find me on Twitter. The handle is at Matzakult, which will also be in the show notes. Perfect. And finally, Wendy, are you still on Instagram and uh, on other places like Therapy Thursday? Yeah, therapythursdays.com. Um, and you can find me on Instagram, Wendy with an I, Dunford. <laughs> is that something that you always have to yeah. mention? Yeah, thanks, mom. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you very much. The link will be in the show notes as well. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, and on Instagram as well, actually. You can find uh, this show at frenchspin.com. You can also find uh, Pixels, the show about gaming that I do. And the E3, the E3 is coming up. And uh, that's going to be a fun, fun time. Probably doing some shows with uh, Wendy's brother, Scott. Scott. Not Dunford, but Johnson. Um, we're going to be covering E3 at length. So look forward to that and subscribe to Pixels on your podcast app if you want that. And of course, a million thanks to uh, patrons of The Phileas Club at patreon.com slash The Phileas Club. You can go and uh, check out the Patreon campaign if you enjoy the show. If you uh, get something out of it, then maybe consider giving, you know, a coffee or a beer's worth of uh, money, American, French, any kind of money is welcome um, uh, at patreon.com slash The Phileas Club. The link is in the show notes and we do appreciate your support because this is how the show is made. So thank you very much to all of those who do support the show. We will talk to you again in uh, about a month. Talk to you then. Bye.